This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Mark Blunden, and this is The Leader. Britain's technology sector has reached $1 trillion in value. That's over £800 billion, which makes the UK only the third country to hit this financial milestone after America and China. All this success has brought untold wealth for many London founders who are revealed in the first evening standard tech rich list. And later in this show, you'll hear just how one invests his fortune. But has London lost its shine? as tech firms look elsewhere in the world post-Brexit, and how diverse are the list's entrepreneurs. The standard city team who compiled the data show the 100 people appearing on the list have a combined wealth of over £600 billion. Vacuum cleaner tycoon Lord Dyson tops the list with a wealth estimate of over £17 billion, while Sir Richard Branson and Lord Sugar also make the top 10. Plus, there are more than 20 unicorns, that's tech firms worth over a billion dollars each, including fast food app. Deliveroo and payment service wise. In part two, we'll hear from one biotech entrepreneur and investor in psychedelic drugs like Magic Mushrooms for therapeutic use, who's made the rich list and has a few quid in the bank. But first, let's find out from Evening Standard Tech reporter Simon Hunt, who's spent a long time crunching these numbers, about the significance of the list. It's important to point out that a lot of this wealth is quite new. There are a handful of older names on this list, like Richard Branson and and Alan sugar and so on. But so much of this wealth has been generated in about the last five years or so. I mean, we had a bunch of um, IPOs in the last couple of years and lots of really big funding rounds. And there are only three countries in the world that can boast having a a trillion dollar tech sector. and And the UK is now one of them. How did you calculate these huge sums? And is it cash in the bank? I think for most people on the list, it's not going to be cash unless a handful of them sold the businesses on or sold it to a private equity company. And for them, it probably is cash. But in the case of people who um, run public companies, I'm generally looking at the shares that they own and the value of those shares as they appear on the stock market or how much they're being paid according to those companies' annual reports. Um, For private companies, it's a little bit more complicated. So for them, I'm sometimes looking at how much revenue they generate to figure out how valuable it would be by comparing it to 
public companies that are in the same field. And in some cases, for newer companies where I don't have that information, I'm looking at funding rounds. Who's up and who's down? Any surprises? One of the people who's um, quite significantly down this year is uh, Richard Branson, who, of course, is on the list primarily because he created Virgin Orbit, which was set to be the UK's first satellite launch business. That hasn't gone well, to put it mildly. The company has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And his share in it was worth something like a billion dollars at its peak. And now it's virtually zero. So he has lost quite a lot from his wealth over that period. In terms of people who've done better, Ewan Blair has done well. His company has had a fresh funding round recently. How diverse is the top 100? It's certainly true to say the great majority of the people on this list are men. Most of them are white men. And I think the diversity issues in tech have been fairly well publicized. And the wealth of the people at the very top is the sort of best expression of how bad the diversity problem is. But it's also not necessarily as bad as this list might suggest, in the sense that a lot of these companies now have lots of senior management roles that are women. But you know, what happens is because these men were founders and the businesses are you know, five or 10 years old now, they hold almost all the capital in the business. And so we attribute all of the wealth to them. How's London's tech business outlook going forward? I think we're definitely in more troubled waters now than we were a few years ago. A, obviously, the, the economy is not performing as well here as it did. I mean, that's true here as, as well as worldwide. The valuations of a lot of tech companies were very high in 2021, and, and they've dropped off a bit since. And a lot of startups now find it much harder to get funding now than they might have done a couple of years ago. And of course, you have the, the European issue as well, and that it's not as straightforward to trade in Europe if you set up in the UK. And if you want to start a business primarily with the market of Europe in mind, then it, would, it wouldn't really make sense to start in the UK. Having said that, I think, obviously, if you're a manufacturer, your biggest problem now is, is supply chain issues and being your products being held up at the border. But if you're a tech company, none of that really applies. And, and of course, you're aiming for a global market of which the European market is but a small piece. Let's go to the ads. Coming up, magic mushrooms, ancient art and London's post-Brexit business landscape with a tech founder worth nearly £1 billion. Why not hit rate and follow in the meantime? You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. 
now we're lucky to be joined by one London-based founder who the ES Tech Rich List estimates to have a net worth of over £880 million. Let's find out from Christian Angermeyer, founder and principal owner of Apiron Investment Group, if London's still the place to be or not. Well, truth is we're not that much investing in London. We do have some UK, respectively London, uh, investments, uh, but sort of London is an office or of my family office, a Pyron Investment Group, sort of our main place uh, of incorporation as well as Malta. And we have offices in London, Berlin, San Francisco, and in the UAE. And I happen to live here as well, uh, or it's my number one place of living. Yeah, but actually, if I'm very honest, yeah, over the last years, uh, the UK lost a bit uh, in terms of uh, both, I think, attractiveness. This is why uh, I'm also spending a lot of time in the US uh, and in the Middle East but also in the sort of attractiveness of startups here, which I hope gets better because the, the short version, I was always like, they want to open the Brexit discussion if it was right or wrong, but it is what it is, but it would offer an amazing opportunity for the UK and London if you treated it right or if you if, if you made the right thing out of it. And that is a complete disaster, unfortunately. What's the attractiveness of living in London for you? The attractiveness used to be, yeah, when I moved here in 2013, that it was by far the most sort of energized European city and it's losing that as well, especially compared, I think it's still, to be fair, it's still the most energized city in Europe. The problem is though that in an absolute terms, entire Europe, including the UK and London, went down a lot and the US kept its place or even went up and then other regions in the world did the same. What's been the post-Brexit challenges? Over the last years, it's just a series of negative sort of headlines out of politics, but also like there is no positive momentum and someone that is translating sort of the energy of the people. I think many, many people are feeling it because many of my peers, by the way, are at least considering getting additional other places. So I have not a single meeting with other investors, owners of family offices who don't have the same view that I have and think, okay, where can I actually go? Maybe you keep the place here. People who have children, I just had this discussion yesterday with a big family. They have the, the issue, obviously, children is a bit more complicated to move, but like most people actually want to move or at least have a second place, a third place in another country. What's your future business focus with psychedelic drugs? One area we invested a lot uh, and built actually up some big companies ourselves is the idea uh, of bringing psychedelics back, which are compounds like so-called magic mushrooms, the active ingredient is called psilocybin, ketamine, DMT, whatever, for therapeutic use. That's very, very important. So not to make them consumer legal, but to have them as an approved medication, which can be taken with a doctor. So it's a great question because finally I can say something very positive because here the UK actually had a leading role to play or has. So um, especially Imperial College has been and still is one of the leading places for research into the potential uh, of psychedelic uh, compounds. And you have to tell us about your art collection. My big passion, um, bringing psychedelics back into the medical world as medical treatment. And the interesting fact is that not just psychedelics, that psychedelics had been or some of them at least, had been really a medical-approved therapy in the 50s and 60s by actually by a Swiss company called Sandos. They had approved uh, psilocybin, which is uh, magic mushrooms, and, and LSD. But actually, psychedelics played a vital role 
as far back as we can go in, in human sort of recorded uh, history. In fact, actually, most religions, including Christianity, are based on psychedelic consumptions of their founders, and by the way, provenly based on it. So my art collection mainly uh, features ancient artifacts of ancient religions, like the Lysinian Mysteries or the Cult of Osiris in ancient Egypt, which show that link between sort of the creation of religion and psychedelic substances, and that they actually had always been, what I want to make them again, is a healing substance. It's sculptures like of gods and goddesses. It's actually wall paintings from ancient Egypt, uh, more than 4,000 years old. It's objects like cups and stuff like that who were used in, in these ceremonies. Yeah, but it's ancient stuff. So I'm not actually a big believer in modern art because it's sometimes nice to watch, but like I just don't see the price of how I can justify some values because it's a piece of paper on the wall. So I'm, a, I'm, but I'm also personally, but art is very personal. I'm a history geek. Like, love sort of what we can learn out of history and like the evolution of humans. There's more on this story in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. That's The Leader. We're back on Tuesday at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.